Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hello, everybody. I'm Rolo. This is uh, Parks and Recollection. Recollection. That's my new way of pronouncing it. <laughs> what yeah. a start! Kicking it off loud. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I'm. I'm having one of those days today, and but just I always feel great when we get into the episodes and have fun. But I, I, I couldn't wake up today. It's actually it's like super hot out. Um, I, maybe I'm dehydrated. I don't know. I mean, you play hurt though. That's what I you do. I mean, the suffering that you do, the sacrifices you make I for know. the listener, the loyal audience. That's right. But but I I find again, I don't know about you, but I find that doing the podcast is is fun and like gives me like it gives me a little energy. <laughs> like afterwards totally. I feel it's like I don't feel like it's a drain on energy. So hopefully the podcast will uh will psych you up a little bit. Oh, I'm psyched. I'm very psyched about this one. I'm very excited. Today we're doing the stakeout, not to be confused with the great Emilio Estevez movie, Stakeout. What is, what is the plot of that Emilio movie? It's a stakeout. Oh, okay. Well, simply put, that's the logline, right? That's on the poster? <laughs> I mean, God, I remember going to the premiere of it. There's a lot of binoculars, I remember. It was kind of like a gritty buddy comedy with those those guys. But this is not what we're doing today, though, right? Instead of Emilio and Richard Dreyfus, it was... Uh... It, it, it's uh, Tom Haverford, Aziz Ansari, and Leslie Nope, Amy Poehler. So there you go. There you go. That's right. We did want to mention, by the way, uh, Louis C.K. appears in this episode, and we want to address the fact that uh, he took actions that hurt a lot of people, and we are not going to just kind of put that aside. We're just, for the purposes of this podcast, we do need to talk about his character, Dave, who's a police officer who's in this episode and in a couple coming up. So we will be mentioning his character in these podcasts just because he's a part of the show and, you know, he has not been excised from these episodes. So we'll discuss him and that is in no way sort of condoning anything he did in his personal life, but we will be discussing him. Shall, shall we get to the synopsis just so people know what the hell we're talking about? Yes, yes, yes. Let's do that. Uh, this episode of The Stakeout, Episode two of season two, first aired September 24th, 2009, written by the great Rachel Axler and directed by Seth Gordon. Um, and here's a synopsis. Leslie sets up a stakeout with Tom to find out who's growing marijuana in the community garden she put together in the pit. Meanwhile, 
Anne gets ready for her first date with Mark and asks Leslie if she's okay with it since Leslie used to have feelings for him. Leslie insists she's fine, but eventually spots Anne and Mark leaving for their date and starts spying on them during her stakeout. That's the title of the episode. Mm. Later, Leslie and Tom find out Andy has been living in the pit. Back in the parks department, Ron Swanson's hernia causes him excruciating pain, which leaves him completely immobile and stuck in his office. One of my favorite stories, B stories of the show. Eventually, April returns to check on him and wheels Ron out by his office chair and takes him to the hospital. Back at the pit, Leslie and Andy walk off to get fast food, and Tom gets locked out of the van. Anne and Mark return from their date and call the police after they see Tom, assuming him to be a prowler trying to break into the van. Officer Dave arrives and arrests Tom. Leslie, Anne, and Mark go to the police to explain and get Tom out. Dave releases Tom, who thanks Leslie for sticking up for him. The next day, Leslie and Dave go to the garden. Dave assumes Leslie made the whole thing up to spy on Anne and Mark. The episode ends with Dave sharing that he is attracted to Leslie. So it, it, a lot of ups and downs in this episode. A circuitous plot. A circuitous plot for sure. And a lot of whipped cream. A lot of whipped cream. That's I, I love that opening where she's, which is you make the best coffee. You make the best coffee, Anne. I had no idea how much whipped cream Leslie Nope consumed really until watching this episode. She consumes, and it made me think of my Indiana whipped cream. You want to hear my Indiana whipped cream story? Please. Is now I now when you say Indiana whipped cream, it sounds like that's a euphemism for something that's horrendous. But I'm going to assume I, it's I not. No, it's and no, I'm I am literally. <laughs> talking about whipped cream in Indiana. In, in Indiana. Thank you for clearing that up. Thank you for clearing that up. So in Lake Wawasee, Indiana, um, back in my ne'er-do-well days of my late teens, I would go um, and, and water ski with my, my family. We'd be bored and it would be raining sometimes. And so uh, one summer, Charlie Sheen came with us to Lake Wawasee and we went to the local Piggly Wiggly and bought every single whipped cream can that we could get our hands on and promptly inhaled all the nitrous. <laughs> so I was watching this to see if Leslie would ever huff the nitrous, but no, she just has the whipped cream. Little whippets. By the way, on your Parks and Recollection podcast bingo card, if you had Lake Wawasee, Charlie Sheen, and whippets, you just got a bingo because that was a that was a row. That was a. I mean, that is that's right. You're kicking off the pod really hot with the the sh- yeah. machine. The machine is in is in the story. Um, yeah. Boy, you guys oh, yeah. must have been kid. So he was a kid too, right? Yeah, he was a kid. He was he was uh, wanted to be a baseball player, I think, at the time, and and oh uh, we were just we were just young, young kids, bored, and in those hot Indiana summer nights, like right out of a John Cougar Mellencamp song. And the closest thing he would be is is in Major League as that's wild right. thing. So that's he, why he that's why it. he could he pitch did it in one way. He did, he did. It in one way. That's right. Um, so many things to talk about in this episode. I kind of want to start with the B story because I just really, oh, I thought so that one was was a great physical manifestation of this character and who he was philosophically. So I believe, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe it was originally pitched by Dan Gore, one of the writers, who was like, look, Ron's thing is he's an immovable object. So what if he were literally an immovable object like what like you know he, he's like what if he couldn't move and boy nick nick's perf- i just said boy as if i were from like wow and boy howdy isn't his performance amazing but that maybe your story is rubbing off on me but yeah ron's hernia story is so funny he's so good in that role he's absolutely it's, it's a comedic tour de force ron in this whole episode but it's it's amazing because even in the first scene where you don't know what's going on with him you know, it's it's it's, it's very funny. very. Yeah. He has the talking head. Goes, I have a hernia. Um, yeah, it's 
He's just spectacular in this episode. Yeah, and 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 it's it does so many things, right? First of all, obviously, it's so in character, and you're you know, look, this is the second episode of the second season. It's really just the eighth episode of the series, so you're figuring out who these people are. By the way, he's still wearing a suit in this one. Remember, we talked about yes. like you know, he he's, he stops wearing suits at a certain point. He's still wearing a suit. That's how early it is. The scene where he, he throws the burger at his face to try to eat it's really funny, and it also develops. The relationship between Ron and April, which is a really sweet relationship that blossoms over the course of the show, and it's because they have so much in common. You know, they don't want to deal with other people. They like they don't want to deal like that's they really hate dealing with other people. So that's kind of a, a commonality they have. And I wanted to I wanted to shout out this joke that I believe was written by Rachel Axler, who who wrote the episode um, where Ron says, uh, you know, she's quizzing him about what he has, what's wrong with him, his malady. And he's like, I have a hernia. And she's like, do you have syphilis? He's like, I said I have a hernia. He's, she says, I know, it's possible to have two things. You know, it's like that That joke, that joke killed me. The Ron storyline also, make, there's little subtle things in it that made me laugh, like when he's still incapacitated in the parks department at night. Yes. And, and you can't even see his face and you just hear crickets in the background. Yes. Is it that little cricket, like, post? You know in post, like, what if we put crickets in the background? They're mixing it a little louder, a little softer. Then the guy coming and buffing the floor and sees him. That's really (laughs) funny. I always... There's something that was really funny about people coming in after hours, like sort of BG people. We, we talked about that. Some of that stuff was inspired by In the Writer's Room and We'd Stay Late, which we did a lot more of seasons one and two, of, of people coming in and like, you know, custodians helping clean uh, our offices and they'd come in while we're working and they're like, God, what are they thinking about our lives? Because we're just talking about the dumbest shit. <laughs> like we're pitching story, you know, we're pitching sitcom stories and people are like doing real work around us. But yeah, we always, <laughs> we, that always, that always came up, right? Yeah, it's there's there's so many um, great little nuggets in in this one. I mean, this whole the whole shovel guitar, yes, thing absolutely. Is great. I mean, shovel guitar. Who doesn't love shovel guitar? <laughs> shovel guitar. I was watching. I was watching this episode last night and thinking about how you know. Aziz says basically she's been playing shovel guitar for for an hour, right? She's like she's been playing, and it's like that indefatigable energy that Amy has. And then today, I, I ten minutes before we recorded, I got a text from Polar. I, I invited her to to a party, uh, a birthday party I was having. And she was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to come to this party!" Like, "Oh, like I can't, like I haven't seen you in so long." Like, let's catch. I was like, "This is the energy. This is the energy yeah. in the show, man. That shovel guitar right there." No, um, totally. But I was I was very excited. Yeah, she's very she's um her energy is always high. So remind me, one of my favorite things about this is the shovel guitar reference. What is it? Uh, Alan, I think I could take this one. I'm pretty sure that shovel guitar was uh, improvised by Amy on set when Amy and Aziz were just riffing together, getting a bunch of great content of hanging out all night in that van. This is a very high energy um, episode across the board i think yes yes i you know I, so i i wanted to talk a little bit about i i don't know if you know you were remembering this slash reading about it but as it was happening as tom gets arrested at the end of this episode it reminded me of this henry lewis gates event that happened in 2009 and i realized we basically use that as kind of inspiration for this episode for so for for those who are uninitiated there's a professor at Harvard named Henry Louis Gates, and he had gone on a trip to China, and then he returned home. By the way, I love this fact. 
He, he was on a trip to China to research the ancestry of Yo-Yo Ma for a TV show called Faces of America. Great detail in this wow. story. Like, I don't know wow. how that's such an intense detail. He comes home to his residence on the Harvard campus. He finds the front door of his home jammed shut. And then, with the help of his driver, is like, well, I got to get home. He tries to force open the front door to his own house. And for anyone out there who's forgotten their key, we've all been in this situation. It's like, God damn, how do I break into my own house? Right? It's like, I got to jump <laughs> yes. a fence. Like, maybe the back door is unlocked. Is there a key in a rock? Like, whatever. A witness sees this and reports the activity to police. The police comes and he, Professor Henry Louis Gates is arrested by a Cambridge police officer and charged with disorderly conduct. Later, the charges were dropped, but it was this whole hullabaloo. If you remember, President Obama had them sit down for what he called the beer summit, and they just kind of hashed it all out. So I remember that being the impetus for this episode. And, I, and if you remember Pawnee Zoo, which we talked about last week, was kind of a gay marriage episode. So, man, we were kind of really leaning into these issues and bringing them into the Pawnee world. So that's that's what I thought of when I saw this episode. I remembered that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why we, we kind of it started writing this episode of course it became very different you know by the time it got shot but that and there's was no it, you know? there's no beer um i remember that great shot of obama in that little weird courtyard off of the uh the oval office and i think they were like drinking like rolling rocks like, <laughs> the most obscure beer i know well think about think about the discussion about which beer they drink yes. right it's like well is it gonna be a anheuser-busch beer is it gonna be miller coors is it gonna be a, a micro brew mm-hmm. like well a micro brew might not test well in the heartland like maybe, <laughs> but lake wawasee people they're not gonna like the micro brew they're gonna want That's an right. ipa there so maybe we just do yeah it's like <laughs> um but but that was i remember that it seemed like a simpler time in retrospect but but man, I don't know about you. Certainly, watching this episode post twenty twenty, you know, I was like, man, it deals with again, not to get too heavy, but but police dealing with citizens and 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 you know, racial profiling, and of course, yeah. this is a much lighter touch on all that stuff. But it, it does touch on it. And oh, it by does. the way, yeah, but it d- totally does because it's like he he he's about to arrest Aziz, and he's like, what a brown guy can't get in his own van, you know? It's like that kind of stuff. I was like, man, he's like, oh, there's no stereotypes about brown guys in vans. Um, I'll, t- I'll but, tell you what man. was really jarring. Yeah, is when you cut to uh, what's clearly cop dash cam footage. Oh yeah, you're like, I don't want to see this. No, no, I, I don't want to see this. I don't yes! see it. It's not gonna be funny. So I know one thing: it's not gonna be funny. Yes, I, I, in 2021, police dash cam footage not has funny. different connotations than it did 12 years ago, right? We we've all sort of had our not all. We some of us have had our eyes open. Some of us already had eyes open. But but man, that that is. And, and by the way, I also wanted to mention, you know, the episode touches on that, but we still, early on the episode, have Leslie's casual racism come up again. She's like, you're from Libya, right? I'm like, again? Like, how many times are we going to do this joke? And then he's like, I'm from South Carolina, and my parents are from India, and she doesn't. Leslie is such a good person in so many ways. That joke is so jarring, because to me, it's like, you would never do that today, obviously. I'm surprised we did it then. I'm no, just multiple surprised. Times, it's like, it, it, multiple and just, times. And, and, and Leslie just doubles down on it. She, she, it's not she like she doesn't. Oh, that's right. I'm so she sorry. She doesn't apologize. Yeah, yeah. 
says, no. She goes, oh, yeah, Libya, Shmibia, whatever one of those <laughs> countries is. In, they share an office. <laughs> it's like one of her best friends. She looks out on him every day. It's an Indian man. Anyway, I that that is, you know, as an Asian American, that is a very, very funny thing in retrospect. I don't, I, I you know, look, I'm not making excuses for it. It was a different time. But th- there's also, you know, and then there's also Tom's explanation kind of deep in his character about why he chose the name Tom Haverford. He says in a talking head, my real name is Darwish Sabir Ismail Ghani, and by the way, which is Aziz's cousin's name. So it was very funny for me because we did this, we did this talking head, and later I met Darwish. So it's like your cousin Darwish is just a guy, and like you know, like in like cousin, he has a cousin named Harris, and he's cousin Harris in his stand up, and and so it was really funny to meet all these guys who I'd only heard their names, and and, and sort of they're nice guys. They're like they were like you know they're in their twenties when we were in their th- when we were in our thirties, and they were. Yeah, we later cast Cousin Harris in Master of None. Anyway, this is all kind of a, a, a digression on, on, on there. it touches on racial issues, and I kind of had forgotten forgotten that the show was addressing wedge issues in that way, the, the, the way it did, you know? And also his monogram on his shirt is the beginning of the great fashion Tom Haverford that will eventually get us to uh, get Rent-A-Swag. Rent a swag. Yes, I was trying to put my finger on it because I was like, well, he did Entertainment 720, he did Tom's Bistro, <laughs> and he also did Rent a Swag. <laughs> One of my favorite things I have is I have those like super, super, super lightweight down jackets, form fitting zip down jackets that says very subtly, Rent a Swag. <laughs> that was one of our um, Christmas gifts one year. And when people see that, they lose their shit. Like when, when like serious hardcore fans see a rent a, a real rent, rent a swag jacket, they lose it. It's where and and I'll I'll one up you on that because I gave my rent a swag jacket to my mother, who is a high school teacher in Reno Valley, California. So she oh. teaches at a big, massive like public high school. So she would wear that. She's a very petite. Uh, older Asian American lady, she, you know, and then she would go to her giant public school, you know, which is really diverse, and she would wear this rent a swag jacket, and they'd be like, "Miss Bien, where'd you get that jacket, man? Where'd you get that jacket?" I, it says, re- "You're an older lady wearing a, a jacket that says rent a swag." Anyway, it was a big hit with her students. Yeah, it's it's you can't go wrong. It's like a it's like a get out of jail free card. <laughs> with with a certain demo for sure. Yeah. It was really funny, man. It was really funny. Yeah, but this is the beginning of Tom of Tom being um and also Tom name checking a lot of people. I think there's some Yes. Good, he name checks some some peeps in this for sure. It opens with him pretending to know the names of vegetables and calling them different rappers like Soldier Boy Tellum and Ludacris's and you know Bundogs and Harmoniums, whatever. And what I always what I always found funny about I mean, like Tom's character and then Aziz in general is he started out as a kind of diminutive Asian-American, Indian-American comedian from South Carolina, just going on stage talking about what he liked, right? And he liked hip hop, he liked food, he liked clothes, whatever, he liked all this stuff. And over time, as he became more successful, he started becoming those things because he became friends with these guys. Like he, came, he went from starting out doing open mics as an NYU student about 
Jay-Z and Kanye to being in a Jay-Z and Kanye music video. <laughs> like, if that's, that's right. not the American dream, that's pretty wild, right? It's like, he went to Madison Square, he played Madison Square Garden, and I, I once, he went, he once did a stand-up show, and like, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade went. It's like, that is really wild, man. That is really wild. I remember the day he was in the video. I remember the yeah. day that that video came out, and everybody's like stood around like a, he I guess had an early cut of it on his phone. That was a yeah. big deal. It's the video for Otis off Watch the Throne. And yeah, it's like Jay-Z and Kanye and they're like dancing around cars. And then every so often you'll see Aziz in the background just dancing also. You're like, this is just really funny, man. <laughs> this is this seems so incongruous. And and you know, the the little sort of you know, I I was privy to some of this because you know I, I'm good friends with Aziz so like when we would spend time with those guys it was it was we always had to pinch ourselves and be like what is happening because we do not belong here but it was fun you know it was a fun period in our lives for sure people think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh like creator Kate this Glade orchid neroli candle is so fresh it's like fresh as watching a sunrise in Santorini yeah, I'm going to need more of those. Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today. Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more. Pot brownies. Yes. I mean, there's a pot brownies reference. I mean, I feel like... That's so old school. There's so many ways to get your pot now. I don't think anybody has to build a, a brownie around it. I mean, there's, right? Edibles are not my favorite, no, because it, there's no controlling the dosage, and you always feel like, who's all, who's baking these pot brownies, right? It's like back in the day, like when you get them, it's like, I don't trust the, I don't trust the baker of these. Like this person making this was not using science, right? I don't know how much to, how much to eat or whatever. Like just feels like not the best way to do it. Well, and, and, and this is a, clearly a theme, but um, my experience with pot brownies, the only time I ever really had them, they were baked by, wait for it, Stakeout star Emilio Estevez. Great, <laughs> I love it. This is all coming together, man. It's all coming. Together. I was either going to be Sheen or Estevez. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was good at it. He knew what he was doing. Um, I I was never a pot guy. Never was. I got super super paranoid and didn't enjoy it one bit. But it didn't stop me from trying it. Going this time. It'll be different. <laughs> yes, I, I. It's it's really not for me. And 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 I. Yeah, I tried. You know, when I was younger, I tried. Definitely one time. Uh, I also ate some kind of pot brownie. Again, it's that thing where I'm not feeling anything. Maybe I'll have four more, right? And then you take four more. You eat four more. I just remember we started. This is like very of its time, but me and my girlfriend at the time were watching the movie Clerks on like DVD. We put it on. Mm. We put it on. It was like, all right, let's watch Clerks. And then I was like kind of laughing and I looked at her and we were kind of laughing and I looked back and the movie was over. And it was like, oh, oh man, we're like, we're now traveling through space and time. I always feel like, I always feel like weed now is like way too strong too. Like I, I was at a party like not I don't know, a few years ago, but Seth Rogen was there and, and, 
you may be surprised to know Seth Rogen uh, likes weed. Yeah, he, I didn't li- know he that. likes he yeah. likes weed. I never so, thought of it. Yeah, so like uh, you know, it was like, yeah, try some of his weed. And I was like, okay. And then it was, of course, it's way too strong. And he's like, yeah, that's Snoop Dogg's weed. I was like, this is too. Th- I'm not in this league of guys. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is too crazy, man. This is too crazy. P- Producer Greg has a has a, an interesting story about. Uh, your, your your jaunt hit us with this one great it's it's too good i brought an edible with me to a concert at the greek theater in la it was a crosby stills and nash concert <laughs> and then um i was planning to eat it slowly over the course of the concert but then they saw it in my bag like you can't bring food in so i just downed the whole thing which was a major mistake um it was my first and only edibles experience because after the first half of the concert which was the best concert I had ever been to in my entire life at this point. Um, I got very, very, very high and uh, had a major panic attack. Thought that um, I stopped breathing because I felt an artery in my (laughs) neck to see how fast my heartbeat was, but I just felt a random part of my neck instead. And I thought I I was no longer um, had a pulse and I was taken to the medic. And um, um, I thought I died. Um, and then uh, I woke up in the emergency room. Oh my! God. And so I was, I was that guy taken away in an ambulance at uh, at a concert because of a bad edibles experience. I once was offered a a hit of a joint by Willie Nelson on his tour bus, okay. and and I was like, I I don't I know I don't like this, and I know it makes me paranoid, and and I know this is going to end badly. But it was like it was like a circle of famous people in the bus, and I was like, I can't be like totally not cool. So I fake toked it, and still got so fucking high that I couldn't <laughs> leave the bus for five hours. <laughs> that is, I mean, now look, almost it feels like everyone has a bad edible story, and no one has a great edible story. No one's like, you know what? I had a little bite of the brownie. It was a perfect dosage. I was super fu- super fun, had a great time with friends, went home and had a great night's sleep and woke up refreshed the next day. Like, no one has that no. story. It's just Nobody like, has oh that. my God, it was horrible. I woke up in the ER. Like, that's, <laughs> we should know better, man. We should know better. But by the way, it was very quaint in this episode. It's like, wow, weed. It was like, weed, like, 13, like 13 years ago, weed, like, this is, or 12 years ago, whatever like it's mm-hmm. it's it's like it, it almost felt like we're in the 50s or something we're watching yes. reefer badness right it's like oh my god we got to find the, the they called him the kingpin she was calling him the kingpin <laughs> whoever whoever plant like that, that's a that's a that's a daredevil villain that's a spider-man villain that's not a guy who plants weed now it's like your aunt ellen plants weed right it's like yeah the kingpin and but and the other thing is that it was all like leaf it wasn't like they're these yes. just gnarly buds yes. that people are hold, holding up I'm not even sure it was smokable. That was like a, a trip back into a different time, for sure. It was fun to see uh, Pratt do one of his... I mean, he's done so many great stunts in the show, but this his when he's running from the police and jumps into the pit, that is mental. That... <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be him too. Like this, this for sure. I, so, so we we've talked a little bit about Pratt doing his own stunts. He he almost always did his own stunts. Not only did his own stunts in the show, they he also added stunts that weren't there. Right. <laughs> so, so so like like he would be like, eh, what if I just what if I also like fall off a ten story building here? Again, I am not a stunt coordinator. Rob, you can probably chime in here too. You've probably you know done some stunts and or had people do stunts for you with you, yeah. but. 
something like that, they put a crash pad down, right? They'll put yeah. like a, a mattress down and that'll break your fall. And that, and I think that does a lot of the work, but you have to fall the right way, right? Can you, can you, can you illuminate yeah. us on, uh, illuminate that a little bit? Well, the thing I was, was <laughs> which makes it so funny and so insane is how hard he sells out. I mean, he's first of all running at full speed and he gets a ton of air and then he's gyrating as he's arcing in the air and falling into the pit. It's, so he's <laughs> falling with no, you know, he has no regard at all for falling correctly. Zero. Yes. Yes. He's just selling out. And that's what makes it so funny. It's clearly him. And and this is a large man. You know, Pratt is like six five. He's probably pushing yeah. three hundred in this period of the of the show. And and uh, that's a lot of momentum. That's a lot of momentum. That is a cannonball of uh, of comedy willingness there. So kudos to him. He also does a lot of physical stuff in the episode that I wrote down that that made me laugh. It cuts to Pratt and he's eating a carrot like a rabbit. It's almost like a cartoon. <laughs> like that's one of the first times you see him and it's like this is unbelievably broad but also really funny. And then later he gets into the van and then he starts eating this candy necklace like he's in like he's a dog or something. He's just like I guess his secret is just like impersonating and but he eats a candy necklace whole and Leslie's like there's a string in there. He's like no, nah, there wasn't one in this one. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, this is one of the, this is so funny. The candy necklaces, God, I remember, do they even make those anymore? I love those things. Those things are awesome. The problem was though, the minute you started eating them, then it was all slimy and sticky and whatnot, but God, I they mean, were great. You're wearing, it seems there's something unsanitary about it to me. There's, it's almost like wearing, like what else, what other food are we eating that we're also wearing? I, I, <laughs> I feel like I have an issue with that. It's like, I don't want to, it's touching your skin. I don't know, man. How long do you want to wear something before you eat it? I, I, I love those for me. old school candy shops where you get the, the wax lips, Yeah, you know, or the little Coke bottles that have like just clearly sugar liquid in them that you bite the tops off. I mean, all that's, st- I mean, I'm old, way older than you, Alan. So you probably didn't trick or treat and get this good stuff. You were probably getting, you know, what yeah. they were just, they would just send me apps on my phone. No, that's <laughs> <So> I trick or treat. <laughs> Here's an app. Here's a candy app, candy crush. Yeah, uh, right. No, there's, there's a uh, ring pops, I guess, other, other yeah. food that you wear, but mm-hmm. yeah, no one's like wearing like a, no one's eating like a burger hat or something. I don't know what, I don't know what <laughs> another kind of food you would wear would be, but um, I mean, let's talk about Leslie's dating a little bit, just because this is kind of her transition, you know, further away from Brandano, Brandanowitz. It's hard for me to say Brand, Brandanowitz. It's, it's, it's a tongue twister, but you know, I think part of it was was trying to make her character a little bit more confident, a little bit more socially, uh, uh, you know, aware. And and I think this was all part of that process. So part of that was pairing her up with new people. So um, Officer Dave was one, and then Justin, the lawyer, was another uh, down the road. And um, you know, I think it ends up being good for her character. You know, it's kind of a bridge back from Brandanowitz and 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 what was kind of kind of a bummer, I think, in some ways, for her character to be hung up on this guy who didn't care about her. Yeah, definitely gives her some some agency and 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 all of that. And I think it was a good uh, it was a good arc. It was definitely a a really good arc. I mean, you always want to see your 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 heroes' romantic lives. Yes, and I think there's also something to be said for a certain kind of character. It it it's it's nice. I know this this sounds so obvious, but it's nice when 
other characters like your main character you know what i mean <laughs> as opposed to a, a, a you know a lead who's who keeps striking out or is a loser or whatever i don't know i want to say loser but but it, you know look it changes the dynamics completely when instead of a character constantly rejecting that character you have an outside character being in love with her and and that happens over and over again and so that that was kind of one of the fundamental changes in the show is other characters' attitudes towards Leslie. It's not even as if she changes that much. A lot of it is other characters are respecting what she's doing. So so I think that was all part and parcel with with that sort of adjustment in the show. Because well, yeah, as you know, this is uh, season two, episode two, but we keep forgetting season one was only six episodes. Yes. So... This is what episode eight. Yeah. Think about yeah. episode eight of a show, two months into a show. If it's running weekly, you're not like, Hey, is the show completely figured out? It's like, N- probably not. You know, you look at episode eight of Seinfeld. You're like, ah, they're still figuring it out. Elaine's hair is still pretty wild, right? They're still, they're like getting different. They're going to wear different clothes pretty soon. Like they figure all that That's shit right. out later on, you know? Yep. This is, this definitely has the feel of some stuff just starting to work. Yes. And let's also not forget the legendary line, I was born ready, I'm Ron fucking Swanson. You know, oh. that's, that's a seminal line in that character. Or like that, that kind of confidence, right? That, and that's early. That, that, that you, you, know, you guys knew that Ron was that kind of a, of a legendary Teddy Roosevelt-ish, like that vibe. I mean, I was surprised that that line, I knew that it existed. I was surprised it came so early in the life of the yeah. show. It, uh, yeah. You're, you're right. You're right about that. I mean, he just feels so much more fully formed here. Again, you know, the, the, the sort of season break helped, right? Because keep yeah. in mind, although it is episode eight of the show, we took three months off and then we took two months to write the show or to start to write the season. And right. we talked about each and every character and how they would change or not change from the first season so i think it was very clear this one was like oh shit you know like ron is kind of a superhero <laughs> and leslie makes note of it she's like when she's at the police station she's like i can have ron swanson in here kicking down your door it's like oh is he a superhero now he's like yeah he kind of is just because of how he he acts in the show so um again offerman really sells that whole story he doesn't move an inch but but it's uh it's a it's a powerhouse performance truly truly i mean it's it's a it's comedy goal if you look at many sitcoms and i think this is a comedy that falls in that category they will become increasingly frantic as the seasons progress and for a variety of reasons right so season one is like a little slower there's room there's air there's characters are breathing this season yeah there's an a story b story there's kind of a c story too but there still doesn't feel as frantic now if you watch season six of this show it's so it's so fast. It's so fast. And there's sometimes even like a D story. The writers would joke about an H story or like a Z story <laughs> about, like, oh man, we got it. We got so. And by the end, you know, you know, Jerry and Donna sometimes had their own story. So sometimes there were so many stories going on. If you think about it and you have 21 minutes and you're, and you have three or more stories, sometimes you're talking about a story that is three minutes long or something. It's like, how much are you going to get across in three minutes? Unless, you know, you're pulling out a ton of air and you're moving at breakneck speed. And so I, I tend to like when there's a little bit of room to breathe. And I find it to be sometimes an assault on your senses when something is stretched too thin. You know, it, it's just it's it's just too tight and too fast. Then again, a lot of comedy directors will say, 
fa- you know, obviously faster, funnier, but but also there, there's a certain pace that's good for comedy. So so you want to hit the sweet spot, I think. And I think like seasons two and three of the show were kind of in that zone to me. Why why was there a move to do more storylines? Uh, that's a good question. I think in general. Because you have a certain look at a certain point, it's it's it comes down to simple math. It comes down to let's say you have six to eight main characters. I think in this show there were six series regulars. If I'm not, oh no, there was more than that. I mean that we went and also once we added you and 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 Adam Scott, there were even more. So at a certain point in this show, I think there were something like eight series regulars, and and then Jerry and Donna as well, who became series regulars. So then you're talking ten characters or something, and you can't. I defy anyone to write an elegant 20-minute story that that incorporates 10 characters well, right? Like, right. like, like, are you really gonna like that? That is one intricate plot, and you better make that. But that, you're essentially writing Ocean's Eleven at that point, and it's gonna be very difficult to do. So, what you do is you split them up, and you split them up. Oh, this is a great. This is the core of this A story is Leslie and Ron. Okay, so Leslie and Ron are in the A story. Okay, well then the B story. Wow, you know what? This is a great Chris Ben Tom story or something. And then sometimes, and I, I'm not even joking. Sometimes it's like, who's left? <laughs> so it's like, oh, who's left? Oh, we got, uh, uh, looks like we got April and Jerry and, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whoever's left, it's like, okay, what are they doing? <laughs> right? Sometimes yeah. you, you're thinking about that. You're like, yeah. what, and, you know, and, 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 and right? <laughs> Greg says always, and it's not always, and, but, you know, but so, cause Anne didn't work in the parks department often was like, okay, well, how can we fit her into the story? What's the most organic I way know. to get her I know, she comes in, over so. and has lunch. <laughs> there's a lot of okay she's holding the paper she's reading the paper in the courtyard it's like man she's always reading the paper <laughs> um but but you know it, it's it, it comes it's a pragmatic issue and then also i will say you know working on a show right now a half hour comedy it's fun to bounce back and forth between stories there's something about cross-cutting i've thought about this a lot even in dramatic movies this is a weird example but if you watch star wars they're cross-cutting and they're it Cross-cutting between stories sometimes gives you a propulsive energy, and it allows you to time-cut between stories. It allows you to it work with the propulsiveness of the stories in concert. And I know that sounds really pretentious in some ways, and it probably is, but, but it really, you know, there is a way to make it work in your favor and, and, and really have, it, have the stories play off each other. And I think at the really highest level, what if they dovetail or what if they mirror each other thematically? That's always yep. great. You know, that's yep. like, wow. And that's happening in some of these Parks episodes. And I give credit to Mike and, and about, you know, the elegance of, wow, something I learned in the B story has resonance in the A story or vice versa. That's that's high level, and I, I really like that stuff. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's the hallmark of good writing, 100%. Yes. Napa! Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Should we do a, a, a town howl? 
when it's getting to Halloween time, we, they should be called the town howl. <laughs> town howl. And yeah. And maybe it's a town howl. I believe today, Rob, well, we'll decide where to do you, do you have an idea of where we want to do this town howl? <sighs> the town howl. Um, I, well, wait, I, ha- I was, I was going to well, say, go ahead. If, should, you, if you have an no, idea. If it's the town howl, it should be for sure. In the, uh, what's the word? What's the animal themed area? The, the, the animal control floor. Oh animal sure, yo, the, the fourth floor where the animal control, or do you want to just do it at animal control? Let's do it at animal control. Town Let's do it at animal control. Town howl. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do the. Let's do this town howl at the animal <laughs> control offices. This is so hard to say, but I'll keep saying it. Town howl. And by the way, it's also a town howl because I believe our current town howl is a voicemail. It is not just an email or a letter, or a physical snail mail letter. It is a voicemail. Um, can we play that down, Producer Schulte? Hi, this is Conrad. Uh, my partner and I are both really big fans of Parks and Rec, and we're wondering at what age uh, you think we can appropriately introduce our kids to the show. They're currently eight months and three years old. Thank you. <laughs> I love, thank you for the question, Conrad. Great twist. The guy wrote his own joke in his voicemail. And yes. the, the real answer is that it's already too late. You should have started at one month. No, I, <laughs> um, no, it's a great question. Um, great name, by the way. That's my uh, nephew's name, Conrad. Um, so very sweet. Remind me of him. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Rob? We were just talking about how, how there's uh, swearing and pre- police brutality and weed in this one. But I will say it's usually a pretty family-friendly show. It's. I think it's so family friendly, and I know I, I'm stopped all the time by by super young kids who are happy to see Chris Traeger, and I'm always blown away at how young some of them are, and and I think because the the inherent energy of the show and the sort of sunny optimism and and overt happiness in it makes it makes it a a, a good fit for kids younger than you might suspect. And then and then my other thing is as a parent, I my I here's the where I always fell on this subject of when it's appropriate for people. I'd much rather see, have my kids see great things that are inappropriate for them age-wise than appropriate things for them age-wise that are fucking awful. Yeah. And that's 90% of what kids are watching. Right. So you, instead of watching like a poorly made kid show. You're like, here's the shining. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I'm not kidding in the least. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. I, 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 th- I agree. I think it can be, I think you can show this to pretty young kids. I, I, I just don't think that there's that much bad stuff in it. It aired on broadcast television. I, early, I agree eight o'clock. I, yeah. Early. And I agree with you, Rob. It's appealing to kids, I think, because it's very high energy and it's, Sort of like you got all these characters and they're learning to get al- I know how this is cheesy, but they're learning to get along and it's a very optimistic show. So yep. um, he said his kids were what, eight months and three or something like that. I mean, fire it up in like a couple years. I would say yeah. I would say get them on the train early. Uh, you know, as soon as they are sentient human beings who understand language, uh, I think it's I think it's fair game. And it's a, it's a it's an upbeat show, man. It's 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 good for you. It's it's nutritious television. I think. Yeah, I, I think don't you think go. I don't think it's bad. You go, you know, big comfy couch right into Parks and Rec. You know, that's what you yeah. do. And I think of the of those sort of uh, that that era of NBC comedies. I think it's the most kid friendly. I think it goes like Parks, and then when they're a little older, they can watch maybe The Office, and then Community, and then Thirty Rock. I don't know something in that order. 
<laughs> so that, that, it's a whole, it's a whole I, Thursday night block of comedy. Yes, basically. it's the Thursday night ladder of of getting older. That's, it, that's Greg wants to know when they can watch Outsourced. I, I think yeah, that's important. Greg, when, your your axe to grind against Outsourced, please, man. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Outsourced, they can watch whenever. Outsourced, whatever. God bless. God bless. All right. Well, what we we really thank you for the question from Conrad from Hey, that's a town. When you when you start a town, Hal, you don't know where it's gonna end. But uh, that was it was a fun one. And and uh, send in your voicemails because we always like playing the voicemails and um uh, getting the emails as well. So thank you for the questions. Uh, I think that's about all we got for this episode. What do you think, Rob? I, I got nothing more to give. Uh, <laughs> I think that was. <laughs> More than more more than enough, um, but thank you all for 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 listening, and uh, we will be back next week. Uh, how fun was that? Hopefully, you had as much fun as I did. Um, and if you did, please um, rate and review the show. Uh, that can be your homework if you're so inclined um, on Apple. Uh, very very important to the success and ongoing uh, franchise of the show. And um, please don't forget to join me on um, on literally where um, I talk to. I think you'll find very interesting people. Pull that one up and look at that list of uh, guests. And if you can't find somebody that you're interested in, just listen to Alan's episode. He's every bit as interesting as Chris Pratt or Gwyneth Paltrow or Oprah. Come on. That's right. Thanks, producer Schulte and Greg. Uh, Goodbye from Pawnee. See you later. This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Stitcher.